It's easy to underestimate your vulnerability until it's too late. What's the problem here? Websites get hack attacked. Websites that are political or journalistic in nature are at an even greater risk of being hacked since not only do they attract the regular hackers, but they also attract a special type of hacker, the politically motivated type of ha hacker. So obviously since uh, these organizations are political or journalistic in nature, there are bound to be individuals who disagree with those positions and are willing to go so far as to hack attack those organizations because of that difference in beliefs. And yeah, organizations on all sides of the political spectrum can potentially be targeted by these, this type of hacker. So. Just to give you an example that I covered a few weeks ago, Gab, a social media platform that is dominated by the right and alt-right, was recently targeted, and so was Liker, which appears to be a bit more leftist as far as social media platforms go, especially when they characterize their own hack incident as being a politically motivated attack by, quote, Trumpers. And so let me put you through a thought experiment here really quick. So let's... Suppose, for the sake of argument, that you are a startup political activism organization that relies heavily, like most political organizations nowadays do, uh, you rely heavily on your internet resources like your website, your databases, communication channels, social media, banking, etc. So let's also assume that you ideologically align with position A. Now, there are bound to be, as I said, computer-savvy individuals somewhere who align with other positions that conflict with position A. If those individuals are also willing to hack attack you based on that difference of beliefs, then you are naturally a target for them. So these, hacker, these attackers could be citizens of your own country or another country. So if I'm an, a person running an organization in the United States. Uh, the attacker could be somebody within the US. It could be somebody in China, in Russia, in wherever. So they could be private individuals also, just acting out of their own spitefulness and animosity. Or they could be government officials attacking to achieve some political goal. And regardless of where the attacker comes from, or what the motivations of them are for attacking you, they can deal a whole lot of damage to you and your organization if they are both motivated and able to find a way to do so. So imagine an attacker hacking into one of your employees' poorly passworded email accounts and sending fraudulent emails to all of your donors, asking them for money, when in reality it's a scam. When your donors read the emails, they will see that it comes from a legitimate email address. So the donors click on the link in the email, which takes them to a page that looks practically identical to your own fundraising site. The attacker's fraudulent site accepts your donors' payment information, withdraws money from their accounts, and makes them think that it was all legitimate. So imagine that the attacker also hacks into your admin account for the website and puts malware into your website so that when visitors think they're getting one thing, 
they end up with malware being downloaded onto their computer, and which results in their computer basically becoming useless to them. And not only that, but also starts acting as a carrier of self-replicating malware that tries to spread itself like a disease to other computers. Imagine the attacker not only wants to plunder you, but also wants to shame you as well. They hack into your, again, poorly passworded official social media accounts and change all the, all the passwords, all the uh, contact information stuff like email accounts and uh, phone numbers for the social media accounts. And then start posting propaganda that goes directly against what your organization stands for. In fact, this kind of thing happened uh, to somebody who uh, I saw. In fact, I was a journalist and wrote a story about it, and I'll put a link to that in the description below. Of an individual whose Instagram account ended up getting hacked by uh, sympathizers to the Chinese Communist Party, and this particular individual whose account was hacked uh, was very anti-CCP. And so you can imagine how uh, much of an embarrassment that would have been uh, to see this propaganda being posted to your own account when it's not really you. And so imagine this kind of thing were to happen to your organization. Your followers, you know, they could start unfollowing you in huge numbers after they see this nonsense. And they could comment on how disappointed they are with your organization, and it would just be a public relations mess. Finally, the attacker, you know, to add, you know, one last thing to the top of the pile of uh, terrible things to this situation. Imagine the attackers also encrypt all of your organization's data and demand a ransom for it, but never actually decrypt it for you, even if you pay up. And you want to hire a security firm to clean things up for you, but you don't have enough funds and your donors have just been milked for all they have to spare. Needless to say, that would be a huge, huge mess. It would also be a preventable mess. While there is definitely no way to guarantee that all cyber attacks will fail, you can stack the deck in your favor by following some basic cybersecurity practices. Here are some of the things that I consider most important. The first one is passphrases. And the reason I say passphrases is uh, to give credit to Edward Snowden when he said, quote, shift your thinking from passwords to pass phrases, close quote. And while all elements of cybersecurity can be very important, passphrases are probably the single most important category. Keep your password only to yourself. If you have a collaborator, like on your website, somebody else who adds articles to the site, who maintains it, that kind of stuff, don't share your passwords with them. Create a separate user account for that individual. And so why do we want to focus so much on passwords? Uh, if you have a poor quality password, or passphrase as I should be calling it, then a hack attacker could try brute forcing 
the password, which is basically using a computer to make a bunch of guesses about what the password is, basically random. And they could implement some strategy as well where they could, you know, do some uh, reconnaissance on your personal life, check your social media accounts to see what stuff you're into, uh, what your mom's maiden name is, that kind of stuff, and use all sorts of different tricks to guess it based on those things with your profile as well. Uh, and so that's definitely a reason why you should not use your pet's name as your password. Sorry, everyone. And don't use the word password either. Uh, that's, you know, that would take a second or less to hack <laughs> for somebody who knows what they're doing. So before I tell you the following uh, passphrase tips for actual, you know, quantifiable things that you can do to make your passphrases stronger, please understand that there are plenty of password managers to help you out here. Uh, most modern browsers like Brave Browser, uh, Chrome, Firefox, all of these ones already have a password manager built into them. And all you need to do is uh, click the setting to have it be uh, automatically enabled so that when you type a password in to a new site within that browser, it'll automatically save it for you. And that's kind of nice, super convenient, and I highly recommend it for everyday people. So, in order to have a good quality passphrase, you need to use math to your advantage. In order to beat the attackers at the password guessing game, you must recognize the power of almighty math. So, if you were to pick a single lowercase letter, and I knew it was a single lowercase letter, then it would take me a maximum of 26 attempts before I would correctly guess it. This is because there is only one character and it is limited in scope to only one type of character, which is the lowercase English alphabet. The probability of me guessing your letter correctly on the first time, assuming I eliminate each possibility after it proves to be incorrect, can be represented mathematically as 1 over 26, or 1 26th. However, if you were to now pick two lowercase letters, and I knew they were two lowercase letters, then I would not have 1 over 26, or 1 26th, a chance of guessing it the first time, but rather 1 over 26 times 26. So, one at the, as the numerator, 26 times 26 as the denominator, which equals 1 over 676. 1 to 1 676th. So likewise, so you can see how it's increased dramatically here with just adding one more character to that initial one. So now, let's keep it at two characters now, but this time, Let's assume that the characters can be either lowercase English letters or digits, Arabic digits, obviously, or a combination of them. So, assuming those things, I would be forced to assume that either character could be either type. Thus, my likelihood of guessing on the first try would not be 1 over 26 times 26 or 1 over 676, like before, but rather it would be 1 over 36 times 36. 
which equals 1 over 1,296. That's 1 1,296th. As the quantity and the diversity of the characters increase, the likelihood of me guessing correctly decreases with each additional character. The added security is not only linear, but exponential for each character added. However, since hackers can use computers to automate their guessing, our passphrases must be longer than what we would reasonably expect them and their computers to be able to guess. The longer your passwords, the better. Go for around 17 and up characters. But understand that as technology progresses, it will become easier for attackers to overcome longer and longer passwords. Use a diverse range of character types, including lowercase letters, uppercase letters, digits, and special characters as well. Do not use the same password across multiple platforms. This prevents an attacker from gaining instant access to multiple areas of your online life in the event they are able to successfully crack one of your passwords. When you get attacked, you want to obviously limit the damage as much as humanly possible. And this is where a password manager, like those pre-built into a lot of modern browsers, come in super handy. Like when I use Brave Browser, I don't have to remember dozens and dozens of passwords. Uh, basically, the passwords that I have to remember are the password to log into my computer. Okay, and since I encrypt my hard drive and I'm using uh, Parrot Security OS, uh, that means two passwords to log into my computer. And then I also have a separate one for my email one as well. Actually, yeah, make that two emails. Uh, so a password for each of those as well. And in order to access the Brave passwords, all I have to do is be able to log into my computer. So yeah, that's four right there. And then all the rest are covered for me. And theoretically, I could even forget my email passwords so, I mean, I guess we could, you know, just say it, leave it at two. And if I was using a normal operating system, or if I was using the same operating system I'm using now, and just decided not to encrypt my hard drive, I could leave it at just one. So basically, I just have to remember one password. But because I'm special, I decide to do two, or four, rather. Um, so yeah, you could be able to use this to your advantage a lot in order to uh, make your internet life more secure and private. And so some other tips are do not use words that you associate yourself with. I touched on this earlier. Don't use your pet's name or your favorite political slogan or your mother's maiden name in your password. So hackers can easily do recon on your social media profiles and figure out a ton of info about you. And you would probably be surprised at the amount of info that a good hacker could figure out about you just based on public information. And so if you mention something to your friends and followers online, a hacker recognizes that you just might be using that thing in one of your passwords. So therefore, try to go for a passphrase along the lines of these. Newbie jokers are epically cool with a three in place of the E and an open parenthesis in place of the C. And then another one, 
hats off to Dodo the Clown with an A instead with the at symbol instead of an A for the hat and then two instead of the word two and then a zero instead of the O in clown. And yeah, I can show a bunch more on the screen right now just to give you some examples. Some of them I had a little bit of fun with. So eat your 404 errors with $33. Boxing bats fight 2,000 fat rats. Wikipedia boomers are 30% new age. Yo mama takes 50 days to find one gym. And then one that's a symmetry pattern. And it has the word symmetry in there as well. And I thought that was pretty cool. But if you do choose to have something be symmetrical, uh, make sure it is well beyond the minimum password length. Because if a hacker knows that you prefer a symmetrical password, uh, passphrase rather, if they know you prefer a symmetrical one, then they can try integrating that strategy into their brute force attack to where they start guessing the mirror image of what they've already guessed. And so yeah, you don't, you want your passwords to be, your passphrases to be as, uh, you know, from the perspective of the attacker, you want them to be as random and difficult as possible. And so if you have a pattern, then it needs to be one that is not able to be uh, easily recognized. And then so another one, knowledge, and then a bunch of symbols there, is symbols there, flower, symbols, power, and then a bunch of zeros at the ends, and yeah, and then only 38.2 boulders and stones crush thrones. Let's see. And yeah, so there are some examples of passwords. Again, the longer, more complicated, and more diverse the characters of your passphrases, the better. And obviously you want to be creative and come up with your own original passphrases because these passphrases that I'm making public uh, may eventually be put into somebody's brute force algorithm so that uh, when they, so they'll try these passphrases uh, when they're trying to hack somebody. So don't use these specific examples, but take the lessons from these passphrases and integrate them into your own uh, strategy. And then another thing, uh, you know, now, now that we've covered passphrases, we can move on to two-factor authentication, or if it's more than two, it's sometimes called multi-factor authentication. And two-factor authentication is basically when you are required to use not only your username and passphrase to log in, but also another means of showing that the person logging in is really you like sending a login approval notification to your phone. And this is basically a fail safe, in my opinion, for users just having weak passphrases. And it can be very useful to use 2FA to prevent the impact of some human error. Uh, because even if an attacker were to get a hold of your username and passphrase, they still would not be able to access your account if you have two-factor authentication enabled. And now I need to quickly uh, give a disclaimer here. I personally have a bit of a bias against the way 2FA is often implemented by organizations. And the reason I have a bias against a lot of these 2FA systems is because of their 
rigid structure. A lot of these are not flexible at all. A lot of them require that you have your phone in good working order and have the same phone number basically forever. I mean, it's like a lot of these organizations don't even imagine the possibility. They don't even imagine the possibility of some person either losing their phone, breaking their phone, or changing their phone number. I mean, come on. So if they sent so if they're sending text messages to a certain number and they have the phone two-factor authentication as the only means of two-factor authentication, then how is the user supposed to log into their account to change their phone number? It makes zero sense. And yeah, like within the past year or two, I changed my phone number like, what, two or three times. It was insane. And, <laughs> and I literally quit my job as a writer for the student movement uh, at Andrews University. I quit that job in part because of their rigid two-factor authentication system, which they made mandatory for all their employees. And so enough of me going on that rant. So another thing that you need to be aware of is your internet connection. So as I mentioned in previous times, uh, if you're exchanging sensitive info, like your username and passwords and that kind of stuff, you want to make sure you have HTTPS enabled and you can look into the address bar of the website you're visiting and check to make sure that there's either the green lock icon or HTTPS colon slash slash and then your website URL after that. And so with the HTTPS, that stands for secure, the S stands for secure, and it means that your connection, at least the content flowing through, is encrypted. Now, if you really want to hide your browsing activity even more, you can use a VPN, and that can help to make your experience even more secure, especially if you're using public Wi-Fi, because public Wi-Fi is one of the ways that hackers can end up hacking your computer and getting a bunch of info that you do not want them to have. So if you're using public Wi-Fi, use VPN. And also, uh, use antivirus software as well. So this and so antivirus software recognizes and stops malware. At least that's what it's supposed to do. Now obviously, uh, some person could design malware that is designed to go undetected, you know, flying under the radar of the antivirus program, but the people who are maintaining the antivirus software also are trying to be on the lookout for these new innovations and integrate a way to find those new problems into the thing. So that's another thing. So yeah, you want to update your antivirus software frequently. And I personally use Clam AV, which is a free and open source option. Uh, and yeah, it's available for Linux and I think also for Windows and Mac. I can have a link for that in the description also. So uh, yeah, if you're using a different operating system like uh, Windows or Mac, there are obviously uh, options for those as well. And it's not like Clam AV is the only option for Linux either. There are other options as well. So another thing is that if you're an organization, you want to have email filters to prevent your employees' inboxes from becoming 
filled with spam. Um, so if an employee receives an email that's phishing or spam, then and they click on a link in that email, it could take them to a malicious website and it could lead to them getting malware on their computer and it could lead to all sorts of problems for you. And you want to prevent that. And while no filter is bulletproof, having one in place can certainly help you. And many email providers have a separate spam folder as the default option. And yeah, you may have seen this. Uh, it's in Gmail, it's in ProtonMail, it's in Tutanota, it's in all these. Uh, but on the off chance that it's not automatically enabled for you, you want to check and make sure that it is. And having a filter helps limit the amount of phishing emails that you get uh, because of their automated systems to you know, tell which ones are more likely to be authentic and which ones are more likely to be fake. And after, also, if you get an email that just randomly appears in your inbox, uh, don't click on the link. Do not click on the links that you receive in emails, if you can so help it. Because that exposes you to additional risk, which you do not have to take. For example, if I were to receive an email from Amazon saying, Jonathan, there is action that is needed on your account today. Please log into your account using the link below. What I should do is not click on the link in the email. What I should do is go to my Amazon account by going in my browser of choice, which in this case is Brave, and typing in Amazon.com or smile.amazon.com since I'm awesome, and log into my account that way, which is independent of the email. And then I can check my notifications within the Amazon web app. And if I see nothing's there, then it probably was a bunch of nonsense. A bunch of no then it probably was a bunch of nonsense that could have gotten me in trouble. But if it is real, then I'll just have logged in another way, and I can still deal with the stuff after logging in through that independent means. As Ronald Reagan is credited with saying, uh, "Trust but verify." And so, I wouldn't go so far as to say trust the emails that you receive, but, you know, at least verify. And so, if you see anything that seems off, seems fishy, obviously, talk with your IT person if you have one, or, yeah, if you have any friends who work in IT, then, you know, you can talk to them as well, or information security, any of those things. And so another tip is to limit the permissions of your functions on the internet to only the essential permissions that are needed for each user. For example, you would not give your personal credit card to a random 16-year-old. At least I'd hope you'd not. <laughs> hey look, my bank account is drained. Imagine that. I only gave, I only loaned out my credit card to 15 teenagers randomly off the street today. Hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't do that, right? So why would you give administrator level control over your entire website to someone who is new to the field of technology? And even if they are, you know, somewhat experienced, 
You know, why would you, you know, needlessly give them more trust than is necessary? And don't get me wrong, young professionals do need opportunities to prove themselves, to fail, to succeed. But you don't have to put your whole business at risk in order to give them that opportunity. Give them more permissions gradually as they prove themselves to be more competent and more worthy of your trust. And then I touched on this earlier for the antivirus software, but it applies for all your software. Update and upgrade your software regularly. Often companies that put out software update their software because they discovered a vulnerability and now have made a patch for it. So if you don't upgrade it for your team, then you still have that vulnerability, which makes it easier for the attackers to beat you. And then another thing is never reveal sensitive information. So if some random person calls you on the phone asking for your date of birth, bank account info, login credentials, or anything else, do not give it to them, even if they seem nice or legitimate. Uh, just don't do it. Don't. Please. Please, people. Don't. And then another thing. Back up and encrypt your data. So when you back up your data, it helps to shield you from permanent loss if something were to happen to the primary store of your data. And then encrypting your own data helps to shield you from the attackers understanding your data in the event that they find it. And so now I'm going to address the human element a bit more in depth here. Hackers don't play by the wider society's preconceptions about what the rules are. Hackers try to figure out how to play by what the rules actually are in reality. Hacking is more or less the guerrilla warfare of the internet. As humans, we like to think of our fellow humans as being trustworthy and of goodwill. However, that is often the tendency to trust others that can do the most damage to your organization. When a hacker manipulates your employees in order to gain unauthorized access to your organization's info, that is called social engineering. Twitter said last year that social engineering of Twitter's employees is what led to the famous Twitter hack where several high-profile accounts appeared to post a Bitcoin scam which took an estimated 120 US dollars worth of Bitcoin from users. And this just goes to show that training your employees is super important if you care about the cybersecurity health of your organization. At the end of the day, your IT people can be stellar, they can be wonderful, but if your other employees are untrained, they can remain a liability to you. So talk to a technical or cybersecurity professional about the possibility of them speaking to your team about this issue. Don't just bury your head in the sand and hope that you'll never get targeted, especially if you're a political or journalistic organization. It's not really so much a matter of if you're going to be targeted, it's more a matter of when you're going to be targeted, especially since the hackers aren't just limited by their own time and attention, since a lot of the stuff that hackers do is automated, and you want to protect yourself from as many types of attacks as you reasonably can. And if there's any context 
in which you should be paranoid. This is it. Cybersecurity can really make or break your organization. So my advice to you is to take it seriously. And so I hope you enjoyed this content. Uh, this particular episode uh, was, is about a week late coming, so sorry to all of you out there about that. But hopefully I'll make it up to you by putting out another video uh, as a bonus one in the near future to compensate. So don't forget to please like, share, and follow for more of this content. And please let me know if you have any ideas for future episodes and any other feedback you have. Uh, thank you so much. I hope you all have a great day. Stay free, everyone. This is Jonathan with Outsmart Big Brother.